0: Good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. Well, I think uh, reevaluations are good, and the new year kind of gives us all the uh, an annual time in which uh, culturally we've said it's appropriate and good that we would uh, reevaluate and reevaluate the way we live and the ways that we would like to live a little bit better. So when we consider ways that we would like to live a little better, we, we make these things called resolutions, uh, which usually constitute some kind of goal, you know, uh, losing weight, uh, saving money, spending more family time, getting off the sauce, uh, whatever would meaningfully change your life, and, and oftentimes these goals aren't really met Uh, Because what actually needed to be addressed all along was a root problem. And these oftentimes look a lot more like symptoms. Um, You know, uh, we need to address the root problem of weight or money or proclivities towards the sauce. Um, And unless we do treat that root, uh, the symptoms all too quickly return. Thus, oftentimes, we have the same resolutions every day, or ones that are similar that continue to recur. Well, my New Year's resolution this year is gratitude. Um, And that's not really a common one. You don't often hear people say, I got a New Year's resolution of gratitude because it's kind of strange. Like, uh, okay, uh, good. Um, And it wasn't until recently, probably within the last three years, that I've even come to see uh, gratitude as a major deficiency in my life. You know, it started out with a Thanksgiving sermon that I gave on Thanksgiving, of all things. And uh, in that, in that uh, time, I came to see, in ways that I hadn't before, uh, the primacy of Thanksgiving for the, lives of, the life of God's people, particularly as it's expressed in Scripture. Well... In the last year, I have become even more increasingly aware of my, of my personal lack of gratitude and just the lack of gratitude being a major barrier to Christian community formation uh, and to even family life, uh, particularly in the 21st century in, in these United States. Um, and so more and more as these things become clearer to me, I... Automatically see how great my personal deficiency actually is, and I'll be sharing some of that uh, today. By the time I'm done, you might be like, "I don't think you need to be up there preaching anymore. We need to find someone <laughs> far more grateful than you." Um, but and gratitude, it really it functions on several different levels. Obviously, there's the uh, uh, gratitude of God for who He is, and and all of these things, and then. We have gratitude for life in general, gratitude to people and to circumstances and all these things, but ultimately in Scripture and throughout Paul's theology particularly, um, it's all rooted in this thanksgiving and praise to God that's the ground for all others, Uh, and we'll see it very explicitly in Paul this morning, and the rationale is this, that the reason why is that By him, through him, and to him, ultimately, are all things. And so, uh, that God and his great work and who he is becomes the ground for all thanksgiving. Well, uh, recently, gratitude has come up a lot in our culture, and it's been recognized as a really important element to well-being. Websites, gurus, personal trainers, self-help organizations, and psychologists alike have proclaimed gratitude's importance for health and happiness for all people. So this has kind of come into the limelight of light, And I think part of this recent emphasis on gratitude is more of a response. It's a response to an epidemic that exists within our culture, an epidemic of complaint, of envy, of presumption, uh, of dissatisfaction that really, undermines human relationships and has come to plague communities. Um, These forms of ingratitude ultimately kill communities. Uh, But often, ingratitude is dressed up in more subtle clothing. Restlessness, concerns for self-fulfillment, irritation at not being properly recognized or valued, Although writers in the Christian and philosophic traditions have given substantial attention to gratitude, and although giving thanks is central in Scripture, and I would encourage you to take a look because it certainly is, um, I think mostly it's been overlooked as a practice uh, for a way of life, to understand gratitude in terms of how all of our lives look. I think largely that becomes overlooked. Well... Uh, and I'm going to let you know where I'm at, because th- this is kind of a stream of consciousness sermon, so, and I know some of you following along, no, so I'm at point one right now, okay? <laughs> well, uh, the Apostle Paul, he understood the importance of gratitude when he encouraged the early Christian congregation to see that the center of their life together, and I'm going to quote Ephesians 5.20, is the giving of thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, sadly, I have to admit that uh, while I've been ingratitude's victim, um, I'm making the resolution of gratitude because more times than not, I am uh, ingratitude's uh, perpetrator. So. Uh, Often I've shrugged off gratitude and embraced discontent. That's something that has been uh, uh, somewhat of a pattern in my life. Uh, Typically, I'll just dismiss this in the name of vision or unmet potential. These are oftentimes guises that we uh, hide these things under. And in fact, I'm one who is prone to wear the uh, alternative clothing of, of gratitude. I mentioned, you know, I'm restless fairly consistently, if I'm really honest. Um, if I'm more honest than I care to be uh, I'm oftentimes too concerned about self-fulfillment that's just the truth that I have to come to terms with um, and oftentimes I'm someone who can be irritated at not being properly valued these are confessions and they're true um, the, the people closest to me will affirm that they're true uh, as I shared it with my wife I said am I off? she, was, she said no, you're not. I said, okay then, <laughs> fair enough. Um, and you know, I'm equally masterful at uh, flying all of this under a guise of zealousness, uh, zealousness for what's good, for what's excellent, for what's right. And I think probably uh, more than I care to uh, disclose or come to terms w- with right here, uh, these are acts of ingratitude. And um uh, I read this quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and it's one of the things that really made me come to terms to what extent that is, and and a little uncomfortably, to be honest. And and I'm going to read it, uh, just because I think it's very helpful for us all. He says, uh, We think we dare not be satisfied with the small measure of spiritual knowledge, experience, and love that has been given to us, and that we must constantly be looking forward eagerly to the highest good. We pray for the big things and forget to give thanks for the ordinary small and yet really not small gifts. How many times have I wished I was somewhere else where God was really moving? How many times have I longed to be in a more beautiful place with mountains or ocean and abandon the urban neighborhood where I live? How many times have I fantasized about the perfect fellowship where everyone got along like a perfect family. What this boils down to is spiritual pornography, creating a mental fantasy of a perfect place or people and not recognizing the good things all around me. This spiritual porn is my nemesis. It's poison. Thankfully, the antidote antidote is available and accessible, which is gratitude. Well, when we yearn for some ideal of the church or community, it's easy to grow increasingly dissatisfied with all that we actually do have. Uh, While we may quickly acknowledge that greed and the desire for more possessions or money is inherently wrong, we kind of overlook the danger of always wanting more uh, success in ministry or greater spiritual growth in ourselves or even in others. Uh, Or dramatic spiritual experiences, that's a real popular one today, or even a more harmonious home life. While there's a tension between being grateful and striving for excellence, the cultural emphasis we have on growth, on success, it kind of tends to undermine gratitude and interpret contentment of how that might look as an absence of drive or vision. And it's interesting because there's no doubt about it. There is an absence of drive and an absence of vision in self-satisfied complacency. But that's very different from contentment. And I think sometimes we lump those together as the same thing. Well, spiritual pornography takes many different forms. And I couldn't allude to them all because I'm sure we all have them in our lives. But the saddest result of this is... The incapacity that we come to have in appreciating small gifts and the tendency to trample the fragilist expressions of beauty and grace that we've received in our lives. Well, I've preached prior, and it was, I guess two or three Thanksgivings ago, on uh, Paul's Thanksgiving and how God the Creator is the center of that from whom all gifts come. Um, and this is what divine grace is, that all things come from God the Creator who gives to all. Um, and that the most important task for us who are the recipients of God's gifts and His grace is to proclaim to everyone, to the world, what God has done for us, to sing praises and thanksgivings to God, to whom they're all due ultimately. Um, And divine grace and the constant call of thanksgiving in Paul points to an undeserving act, an undeserving act on our behalf that ultimately what it will do is change our orientation and relationship with God, God's act on our behalf. And therefore, because it changes our orientation to God, because it changes our relationship to God, it alters our entire perspective. That's why I've made... uh, a change in perspective, the title of this first point. Um, But the term grace, and I'm going to play off of grace and thanksgiving because Paul does continually throughout all of his writing. But that term came to be referenced by Paul, and if you read the context of everywhere he talks about grace, as a, a culmination of covenant acts that God has enacted and in which he himself fulfills according to his promise. It's not something he enacts that that we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we'll take it over from here, God thanks. It's something that he accomplishes in and of himself. His calling, his promises, he's the one who does it. Similarly, thanksgiving is used to point to a a proper remembering of the ones who receive this gift that God has acted on our behalf in the context of this covenant relationship that we have with him. So, grace and gratitude. By the way, the root of those two words is charis, the Greek charis, for both of them. So, you have charis, which is grace, and you have uh, eucharistai, which is uh, thanksgiving. So, uh, while those are both share the same root, they also share together theologically. Grace are the great acts of God that he continues to give. Uh, Eucharist or Thanksgiving is our response and res- to the reception of this great grace. Well, I want to read right quick with us uh, in the introductory Thanksgiving in 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 9. We have several texts this morning and we're going to look at them in part. I'll give you a sec to open up there if you'd like to. That's 1 Corinthians 1, verses 4 through 9. What it says is this, Paul says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched. Now I want you to notice the passive that he's using here, in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech, and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that. You are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you. Once again, there's a passive. Jesus will confirm you in the end, blameless in the way of our Lord Jesus, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, you'll notice that while there's a focus on the effect that's produced, and oftentimes when this passage is covered, that's what's focused, uh, the ultimate point's made both at the first, throughout, and at the end, and that's that uh, thanksgiving is given to God because ultimately it's Him through all the goodness, through all that everything that we've received, all this gift comes to us in this covenant relationship. So ultimately, the thanksgiving's all to God, and that's really the point of it. We've received all these things, and this is why Paul gives this thanksgiving, because he is the one to whom it's all due, ultimately. Well, grace as the grounds for thanksgiving is also expressed in 2 Corinthians 4.15. That's a single verse, I'm not going to go there, Uh, but, but grace... It says grace is reaching more and more people, and it's expected to cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of, not the people giving the grace, but the one who it ultimately comes from, the glory is given to God for all of this. And you'll notice that Paul's perspective on grace and thanksgiving are both vertical. Grace comes vertically from God, even if it comes via his people, and thanksgiving, even if it's to someone is ultimately directed vertically to the one through whom it all comes. So it's ultimately vertical for Paul, uh, this grace and thanksgiving. Uh, grace typically is always, well, I say typically, it will always be referenced in concern concerning God's action and, and what he's done for his people. And thanksgiving will appoint always to appropriate response to God's action on behalf of His people. This is the way grace and thanksgiving relate to one another within Paul's writings and really through all of Scripture. In the same way, in the same epistle, the connection between grace and thanksgiving reappears in 2 Corinthians 9, 11 through 15, and I am going to read some of that as well. Just to uh, continue to belabor the point a little bit, I think it's important that we get the relationship here between grace and thanksgiving. And... so I'm going to read that right quick, chapter 9, 11, and I might even start a little bit higher. I might start in 8, I'm going to. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. And I'm going to come down to 10, he quotes some scripture to back it up. Now he who supplies seed to the sower, who supplies seed to the sower? It's not Monsanto, just so you know. Uh, And bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to, it's not us, thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, But is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God because of the proof given by this ministry. They will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Could you hear it there very clearly? Here the Corinthians are acting on behalf of the Jews who are in great need and Paul is asking them to send a gift and Paul's concern really is to try to unite the Jews and the Gentiles within the church so that they'll be one body. That's the context of what's going on here and he's asking them to give the gift. Well, this gift is what will produce thanksgiving to God and even result in, verse 12, an overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Um, And Paul continues to use the grace of God as the basis of all thanksgiving. So I think it's important that we note the connection. Um, And because between this grace and thanksgiving, it actually points to another connection. The connection between thanksgiving and thanksgiving and the mighty acts of God, which is what he's referring to as grace. So you've got thanksgiving connected to all the mighty works that God does. And this is going to be really important as we come to uh, look a little bit closer at what the implications of ingratitude is. Well, uh, so biblical gratitude has to do with God-centered or Christ-centered acts of remembrance, much like we do right here. What do we do at this table, which, by the way, is called the Thanksgiving meal uh, or the Eucharist? or communion, which is communion ultimately with all of us in God, uh, is that we would remember the greatest acts that God has done on our behalf through His Son, Jesus Christ. So, this is how it goes. If we have a deficiency in gratitude, what it means is we've lost focus of God and Christ and how central they are in all of our lives. And This is where it starts to get uncomfortable for me, because what does it sound like to lose focus of the centrality of God and Christ in all our lives? It's an I word that no one really ever likes to apply to Christians, but it does. It's idolatry is what it is, for God and Christ not to be central in our lives. Uh, And and we're going to look at that a little bit later, because Paul points it out. Um, Well, and I'm moving on to point two for all of you following along, to challenges to gratitude. Well, despite the emphasis on gratitude in the scriptures, it's very countercultural in the 21st century U.S. of A. to take a posture of grateful recipient. Matter of fact, Russ Concer and I were talking about this the other day. As, an, as American, it's very hard to be the recipient of grace. Um, and this has to do with a lot of uh, cultural scripts that we have and conceptions. Many of us operate with a well-developed sense of entitlement, you know, quite certain that We do deserve all good things and we're entitled to the very best that life has to offer us. Others of us, because we work really hard, are convinced that we've earned all the good that's come our way because of our hard work. And in these contexts, gratitude really is quite irrelevant. The unfortunate reality is that no gift can bring joy to the one who has the right to everything. And there are healthy forms of entitlement that exist with things such as dignity and equality that's that's innate to human beings, but when it's exaggerated, it brings continual dissatisfaction and an inability to be thankful for anything, really. Parents of teenagers going through difficult stages in life. Uh, often know how hard it can be to share life with someone uh, with an overblown sense of entitlement. Uh, When a teenager sees themselves as the center of the universe, uh, and they feel like everybody owes them, especially those who are closest to them, sharing life can be really, really unpleasant. Uh, The sense that Everybody owes me is oftentimes accompanied by a decided absence of personal responsibility as well in that relationship and in so many other things. Uh, but you know what? There's a much more veiled version that exists too. And these are the ones we've got to be striving to. It's easy to talk about the teenager who is entitled or a generation that's entitled. The thing that concerns me really are these ones that, this entitlement that we veil and fail to recognize Uh, often Um, we live in very relatively secure environments I mean really more secure than probably anybody in the history of the world Um, and we have adequate opportunities for good work and for personal fulfillment and somehow along the way we've come to imagine that we're entitled to this security and we take it for granted This differs from most people in the history of the world for whom loss and setbacks and risks were recognized as just a part of what life has in a fallen world, where security is not something anyone's entitled to. Um, And what's happened is it's, it's caused unrealistic expectations from us on what we expect to receive in this life. And then come the frustrations and the complaints that become just commonplace because of our misplaced expectations of what is due us. Well, this dissatisfaction that comes as a way of life, it's really encouraged by the consumerist culture that feeds this notion of entitlement of what you have the right to. And by the way, that's always tied to something that you buy or consume, or, I mean, you name it, that's that's the way it works. Well, we want more, and we want better. That's, the, that's, that's really the whole, that, I mean, if you wanted to give a new American dream, it's you have a right to more and better. More and better than what? Whatever you have right now. Better bodies, newer cars, bigger churches that do this or this just right more beautiful homes, finer coffee. This is just to name a few of my own personal ones. I'm sure you can add to the list of these. Somehow wanting these things morphs into the idea that we deserve them. They're our right. And and thus starts this cycle of generalized dissatisfaction that fuels envy, striving, and buying. Henry Nowen, who's a great Catholic spiritual giant of our time, uh, if you haven't read him, I encourage you to read anything he's ever written. After living among the poor of South America said this, and I want you to hear it because this is why I would say he's one of the greatest because he recognizes these things. He said, what I claim is a right, my friends received as a gift. What is obvious to me was a joy, joyful surprise to them. What I take for granted, they celebrate in thanksgiving. What for me goes unnoticed became for them a new occasion to say thanks. And slowly I learned. I learned what I must have forgotten somewhere in my busy, well-planned, and very useful life. I learned that everything that is is freely given by the God of love. All is grace, light and water, shelter and food, work and free time, children, parents and grandparents, birth and death, it is all given to us, and why? So that we can say thanks, thanks to God, thanks to each other, thanks for all and everyone. Well, Gratitude is awkward in our society for other reasons as well. Um, Contemporary understandings of self-fulfillment are often closely tied to individual achievement. and You know, I'm bordering on things that I might get emotional here, so I'll, I'll try to fight it back a little. You know, these individual achievements usually aren't associated with community or grace, which... They're really all afforded by. And culturally, we've imagined that our full actualization or success uh, means that we're self sufficient, whatever in the world that might mean. Gratitude's an uncomfortable reminder that we need other people, that we're not sufficient, and our lives are dependent on other people's gifts and generosity, which ultimately comes from the Lord. Well, the, the cultural emphasis on independence makes us weary about being indebted to any other person. Russ and I actually talked about it. It's why we don't want to receive anything. We feel like it requires something of us, and it actually does. The cultural script that kind of defines our lives is, uh, I've made it on my own. And it continues to be powerful even when we don't speak it. The notion exists there. It's tied to self-fulfillment. One of my favorite lines in a movie was said to a person of privilege, much like every single one of us are, and it's good, and it'll, it'll become lighter for me now. Here was the critique. I don't care that you were born on third base. I just wish you'd quit acting like you hit a triple. I think this is much of the world's perspective on uh, people in the U.S. They were born on third base, and they seem to act as if they hit a triple. Well, that critique for sure applies to me. And my guess that uh, most of you who are born in the same circumstances, even though relative to one another they might have been different, they're the same, probably struggle with the same thing. Well... This becomes all of this striving for self-fulfillment, the entitlement, and all this that our world holds out for us, for shalom, actually moves us to a place of needing to work really hard for it. So gratitude and awe become robbed from our lives when they're packed full with busyness and new responsibilities that we take on. So another cultural challenge to gratitude is that there's simply no room, no time to notice. And here's the reality. We only experience God's gift when we pause long enough to notice them. I remember a recent conversation I had with Stan Scarborough, and uh, he answered, and he's unusually calm and quiet, talking really low to me. And he started off thanking God for all of his grace and kindness. So it was a peculiar he'd never answered the phone that way. And he was very sober-minded in expressing gratitude. Well, I came to find out he had spent the morning in a deer blind, uh, quite joyful to have shot nothing at all that morning. And the reality is that having paused long enough, Stan noticed God's grace, and he experienced his gift. And in doing so, he took the time to give praise and thanksgiving to the first person he talked to, which happened to be me. And I was the one who was stirred also to thanksgiving, that I even got to hear and enjoy that with him. Well, in our culture, the busyness that's tied to working real hard robs us of that, and we fail to recognize the gifts. Our desire for more continues to drive us, and it, it's a machine that perpetuates itself this emphasis on our personal accomplishments and efficiency continues to cripple us from pausing and acknowledging the gifts that God has given so let me ask you this and it's another point of being uncomfortable what does entitlement self-made and not indebted and too busy to say thanks add up to i think what we find when we go to scriptures it adds up again to idolatry um and I do want to take a moment to look at, and I'm going to move to um, Romans 1. And what I'd like to look at is a contrast that's made. And I was going to look at it, so you can go back and look at it another time. You can look at Ephesians 5, because Paul makes the exact same contrast in Ephesians 5 that he makes here in Romans. Uh, people are really familiar with Romans 1, oftentimes those scriptures, 18 to 13. 32 and we're familiar because we usually use them as an indictment to all of those who are homosexuals you know like that's those are passages for those people i don't think they are i I think they're passages for all of us idolaters in which paul says for the wrath of god is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about god is evident within them for God has made it evident to them. It goes to talk about God revealing Himself through all of creation, through everything, and that rather than give thanks, we became futile in our speculations and our foolish heart was darkened. Verse 22 professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man. Um. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. In verse 28, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. And then verse 32, and it becomes important, Although they knew the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of that death, They did not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practiced them. Um, And I do want to point out one more time before I get started here, verse 121, or when I get to ending here. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations. Paul continues to draw this contrast between thanksgiving and idolatry. And if you remember the point that I made prior, Thanksgiving is connected to what? The acknowledgement of all of God's acts on our behalf. So guess what ingratitude is? Not acknowledging God and all of his acts on our behalf. It's idolatry. So idolatry is not defined by a bunch of things they made by wood. It's actually defined... By the one who demands soul glory because all things come from him. Paul defines idolatry also as deception. Deceived into thinking, I did it. Deceived into thinking this world is offering some kind of meaningful hope or power or something that will fulfill us. It's not acknowledging that God is the creator and do all of our lives, but that we as the creature is somehow do all of our striving and work for, our, for us. Martin Luther provides a real succinct statement that connects these two. He says this, and it's very reflective of all of Paul's theology. See then how great an evil ingratitude is. It produces a love of vanity, and this results in blindness. The vanity striving after when Does your life feel like it's striving after when? Mine does. And in this vanity, there's blindness, and blindness and idolatry. And idolatry brings a whole world of vices. This is the hard part about truth. To say we need to be more grateful sounds noble. It really does. Like, I felt good at first. Like, I want to be more grateful. Doesn't that sound spiritual? But upon taking a closer investigation... To be ungrateful is rooted in idolatry. It'd be very different if it's like, my New Year's resolution is to, to be less of an idolater than I am. It doesn't sound hardly as spiritual, does it? But really, I've said the same thing, is the truth of it. I'm going to kind of distill this real quick, and that'll be my closing. As an American, it's easy to feel like we have a right to everything this world offers that we think will make us happy. This entitlement or right is based upon a worldly power that the current empire that we are under has afforded us. That's the truth of it. So entitlement in the U.S., it's idolatry because it's predicated upon a power that will eventually be shown to be powerless. And I assure you this, the power of these United States of America will be shown to be utterly powerless. And once you predicate your perspective in life upon a power that's false and of the world and which Satan stands behind, you then are certainly a deceived idolater. And it seeks wholeness. In the things that this power offers, more is what it offers, self-fulfillment is what it offers, satisfaction in all this life, fallen as it is, has to offer rather than a covenant relationship with God, which is where those things are actually gained. In the midst of this worldly powerhouse, we have ample opportunity. We stand on third and act like we hit a triple. I went to college and did all this and got a great job. Awesome. I bet I could name 99% of all the world that never had that opportunity. Great accomplishment. So we believe we did it. This is trusting in one's own abilities. Accomplishment and merit, not God's. And consequently, consequently, It's an exchanging of God's glory for our own, our own glory in what we've done and who we are. What do you do for a living, we might ask, all too eager to share what we do because of what we've accomplished. We're too busy to express thanksgiving because of the ravishing monster of Babylon that we live in demands all of our lives in worship. With the promise that we might one day, if we work hard enough, if we sacrifice everything and give everything to this ravaging monster, we might have shalom or wholeness by gaining more and better. In doing this, we act or believe, because that's the same thing biblically, just so you know, acting and believing. In keeping with the gospel of Babylon, that's what we busy ourselves with, is the gospel of this world. When we're too busy to express thanksgiving. We're worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator from whom all things come. We, at least I can speak for myself, I, in this, am an idolater. The remedy for which is thanksgiving, a remembrance of the mighty acts of God, of our very life and breath and the numerous graces we've been given and continue to be given to a greater abundance than most people in this life has ever seen. But ultimately, we have a misplaced hope as we pursue these things. A hope that we want to realize our fullness in this life when God has told us very clearly the fullness is to be realized when he returns. Any distraction from this work of God and his centrality in our lives is idolatry. Well, Paul goes on in 12, and I encourage you to look at that because 12 is the response to chapter 1. Here's what our daughters look like. Here's what people who are thankful look like. And it's not just a voice of praise. It is the debt of relationship. When you give your child a gift, do you expect the duty of going, Thanks, Dad. No. You give gifts with the desire to enter into more meaningful relationships. That's why we all give gifts. And that's the thanksgiving we all desire, is the thanksgiving of relatedness. Well, guess what? God has given all this, and we can't be like the prodigal son and his brother who only wanted the gifts of the father and no relationship. You see, that's not gratitude. God has given of himself and given us all these things as an invitation that our indebtedness of a thank offering would be entering into the relationship that, ironically enough, is will provide the shalom and wholeness that our hearts so desire. It's funny, in grace, he calls us into a thank offering that we come to find yields greater grace. <laughs> What an extraordinary God and what blindness to live out idolatry and to forsake the really, really great grace that God has given and continues to offer us even now. And so I leave you with the words of Paul. In his exhortation to believers such as ourselves to live a life of thanksgiving in First Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Go and live your lives as thank offering to God for, for whom, through whom, and to whom are all things. And I want to say a word of thank you to you for being family, for being the conduits of grace through our Lord, uh, for the privilege it is to be numbered among you, for bearing along even when I go over, (laughs) and for being such good friends and family in all things, to me, to my family. Thank you, and God bless you.